Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast, bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David and Zach. Are you guys excited for Squadrons? I am so excited. This, I, I'm getting getting ready for the preload. I, uh, I'm trying to convince David to squad up Friday morning at 12:01 a.m. Um, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. But. I, I'm actually breaking news. I'm reading something about if you are pre-ordered on Steam or something. There's like a rolling release, so apparently you get like it's it's midnight UTC, so you actually would get it at eight o'clock at night somehow. That's some bull. I am an EA Play Pro member. If I don't get it as early as possible, I'm gonna be upset. I think you'll be better off than me because I think Steam has lower priority, but I don't know. I, I would no, imagine, yeah, I, I mean, like, like EA Play Pro is like, that's like, we're, we're the people that get the games from, like, this is an EA game. Like, they better prioritize us. This is their platform. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Maybe it's like, I'm like 10 years removed from video games, I guess, the way I used to play them. Like, I used to be like a, a junkie. Like, Halo 2 was like my jam, right? And now I have kids, and I have no idea what the heck you guys are talking about. I'm not going to lie. I have zero idea it's like an hbo subscription for video games is what i'm talking about yeah but there's so many now like what the hell what the heck is e what'd you say ea what ea play pro it used to be ea origin if you're oh okay origin Origin. okay i knew origin Origin. okay they have rebranded it to ea play and if you're a play pro member you get everything in their database for free so like you get all of mass effect all of dragon age you get all the battle for all the Star Wars games ever. You get yeah. The Sims. You get a couple other notable franchises. I think like um, like all the sports games and stuff are on there. Like the Madden and you know all that jazz. I was ridiculous at NHL for a long time actually. But on that note, I just want to say that it's like it's like your Legion list, Mike. It's filled with a lot of good things, but it has a terrible freaking name. Like well, EA Play Pro, that, that is that is like terrible, and then Arcstar also terrible. Well, I just does it throw really it matter if you're stomping your opponents into oblivion like we're gonna do Friday morning <laughs> in our X wings? No, it doesn't matter. You're just out there to just beat up some noobs and have a good time, like what I do with Arcstar. I mean, it, it it does kind of sound like a sport, like a like a sports shoe, you know, Play Pro, you know, all that stuff. EA. It's in the game. Oh Listen, gosh. I I loved EA games for the longest time. Now, instead of me being a noob, and instead of me playing this game, I have no platform to play it on, and I bought a camera to film my kids this weekend. So seriously, I went to Target, got a printer, and then I was like, well, maybe I should buy a gaming laptop because Squadron's coming out. And I know a lot of people that want to play Squadrons. I mean, everyone that plays Legion basically wants to play Squadrons, right? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy a laptop. Nope, I bought a camera instead, so... Uh, instead of playing squadrons with you guys at like 12.01 a.m., um, my camera's going to be sitting in the back because hopefully both kids are asleep and I'm not taking pictures of them. But um, I have that opportunity to do so now. Well, you can take pictures of David's stream while we're playing squadrons and maybe you'll feel like you're there. 
Yeah, I guess I'm just going to do that. I don't know. I'm just going to live vicariously through you guys <laughs> instead. Hey, man, it's, we're just bringing value, right? There That's you what's go. They just, we just provide value to the viewer. That's what we do. I'm going to be one of those noobs that you guys are curb stomping. Uh, my uh, 10-year-old Logitech. Um, I think it has a throttle. I don't That's know. That's the exact one I have. That's okay. The one I own. That, just just yeah. to be clear, can you can you raise that up for the camera real quick? Can you turn it around? That thing is. That's, that's a throttle not a, on the back. It, it may have a throttle on it, but it doesn't have a real throttle on it. A real no, throttle it's, it's, is separate from the joystick. Yeah, it's not a it's not a Hotas. It's yeah. a hand on. It's Hotas is short by the way for hand on throttle and stick, which means you have a hand dedicated to the throttle, and that one is certainly not. Yeah, you know, hand on throttle and stick. That's just a little switch. It's like a dimmer switch that substitutes for a throttle. I, dimmer uh, switch, love it. My my desk is not presently big big enough for that setup. Uh, but once it is, I will definitely be VR headset. I saw a sweet picture, I think, on the Legion group today of this dude who like had like a Rebel fighter helmet over his VR headset with his throttle and joystick ready to go. I was super jelly. I don't remember who your name was, but I think it was I think it was Mordred or more more like I think it was Mordred. I, I I it's it's something along those lines. It was in the it was in the off topic channel. Yeah. Uh in the list in the Discord. And uh I just that I'm ready for this game. This could be the best Star Wars game of all time if they do it right. Like, we have been looking for a sequel to Rogue Squadron. Not only is this like a like a like a spiritual successor to Rogue Squadron, it's multiplayer. Like, I don't know. I'm so ready for this. This this game is like it's basically a remake of X Wing Alliance, which is like a twenty one year old game. And it, it's it's been a long time coming. This whole our audience has been waiting for a long time for this game. So when was the last time we got a game where you could fly an X-wing that was good? Battlefront uh, doesn't count because Battlefront no. ships were bad. No. Starfighter no. assaults does not count. Yeah, was uh, I can't remember because I was like a kid. But Shadow of the Empire, I feel like wasn't bad flying ships. But that was like pre Rogue Squadron. I don't. Yeah. I mean, like the. I remember playing, what, Rogue Squadron 3? I don't remember what the subtitle for the game was, but that was, like, the last time I remember piloting an X-Wing and feeling good about it. And I went back and I tried to, like, play it on EA Play Pro because you have all of those games on PC. And um, the graphics really don't hold up. It's really bad. I have to admit, I will, I will admit this. I went to go pre-order a PlayStation 5. Just four squadrons, because I'm pretty sure even though it's coming on PlayStation 4, they're going to have backwards compatibility and all that jazz, right? So so needless to say, I did put in the effort to buy something that would be worthy to me. Like, I can't do this on a computer. I, like, I thought about getting a gaming laptop, like I said. But, like, I don't think I can do all that. So it's just easy for me to pick up a controller. But as we all know, also, pre-ordering an Xbox and a PlayStation right now is not happening. It's, it's not happening. I mean, I don't, I'm so far out of the console game anymore. I, I view console players as noobs. I'm just going to say it. Uh, you know what? <laughs> like, when you oof. have a couple of kids and you have, and you have to explain to your wife, whether you bought a gaming laptop or a PlayStation, I feel like the PlayStation's a little bit more 
like of a sell because one, you can put it on the TV that you don't usually use and get away from each other, right? And whereas the computer is going to probably be in a spot where you're both together a lot of the times. Like our desk, our desk is in our bedroom and she likes to watch Outlander on that TV, okay? Or it also plays Blu-rays, right? If you get the one that handles the disc and it's not um, just digital, then I can be like, oh, well, all those Blu-ray discs that are sitting downstairs collecting dust now have use. Can, can um, we just hold up? You have movies or video on I, physical I, copies now. I don't use I don't use them, but she's a huge Harry Potter fan, and I have the eight disc set. So again, it's an easier sell to be like, hey, this PlayStation Five can play your eight favorite movies, but I play Squadrons most of the time. Okay. I mean, you've left out the most reasonable reason to get a PlayStation instead of a gaming laptop. It's fifteen hundred dollars cheaper. I'm gonna say it's way cheaper too. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, like. I mean, I mean, like if if you've got any reason, please let that be it. Yeah, no, like it's a gaming de- it's computer can that. do all of those things you mentioned. It's just a lot more expensive because it can do additional things. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, my my VR like, headset is the cost of your PlayStation. <laughs> oh yeah, like like uh, I think it was it was Tim from the Stabcast was like telling me he was like building a computer and I'm like. He's like explaining the prices to me on all these things. I'm just like, what? Yeah. I mean, the thing is computers, you can mod and keep up to date and stuff, right? Like, yeah, I I built a computer five to seven years ago and it's still running stuff just, just fine. So. Right, and and when it isn't, if you built it right, like you can just like get a new graphics card and put it into right. what you've got, and buy some new RAM, and you know throw it in there. Like, whereas the consoles, just like I don't know, I've got like five consoles, and they're all sitting in various states in my house, and they're all glorified Netflix machines. That's all they yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, I still have the last one I bought is a Wii, and that's basically what it's for. I think I built my PC three years ago. It's still holding up. I'm still meeting the minimum system requirements at least. Although I don't, I have an i5, so we'll see how that holds up if I try to stream off that. Oh, i5. Yeah, bold, it's getting a little, it's getting a little old. Yeah, yeah. I uh, not, might upgrade to an i9. We'll see. Yeah, worth it. It's a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, definitely though. worth it. Um, the only the only console I have that I actually use for things other than Netflix is the Switch, but I don't really consider that a console. I don't know. I don't know how people feel about that. I love the Switch. So, like, <laughs> shout out to our budget PC builders, by the way, who are laughing at us for complaining about how expensive building a computer is. If if you go on like Newegg and you like know how to like build a computer from scratch, you can actually build a really good computer for sub sub a thousand dollars. Yeah, but, sub one grand, yeah, you can build yeah. like a really nice desktop actually. Sure. But it's a desktop is the drawback. <laughs> Doesn't go anywhere. It goes on your desk. Yeah, desktops are preferred well, you know I mean. to laptops, <laughs> in my opinion. I have successfully cooked every gaming laptop I've ever had, and I've had like four or five. And when I say cooked, I mean I have physically melted the inside of the laptop. Um, but you overclocking them or what? Nah, dude, it's just like games wreck those things. Laptops are not built for gaming. They're it's not. Just, it's just there's not enough space for airflow. It's really hard to run the high-end games on them without melting your stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right, well, that was a lot about 
PC and gaming hardware. Squadrons! Squadrons uh, <laughs> is coming! Ah! Yeah, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm definitely going to get it, but I am uh, I'm cosmically bad at flight games. So um, hopefully I won't drag you guys down. We'll, we'll turn you into a Galactic Ace in no time. We'll, we'll put him in the U-Wing, and he'll just drive it straight at the Star Destroyers. All you got to do is repair me while yep. I blow up their TIE Fighters. There you go. Or the, the bomber, right? Just I'm just going to fly straight at a capital ship. I can hit that, and yeah. you guys just protect me. Yeah, you you can get like an overshield that'll protect you from the front for a little there bit. There you go. There's Y-Wing with as many hit points as possible. Just hey, I think that's set this build. thing to straight and narrow. Kyle's just straight the, up the, the bomber button. from Last Jedi. I was just yeah. going to say, <laughs> there you go. He's, he's not Kyle Dornboss, he's Kyle Tico. <laughs> <laughs> the Y-Wing's in New Hope, right? Stay on target. Yeah, just, yeah. just fly, fly straight and get shot by Vader. Yeah, shake him. All right. <laughs> Yeah, Vader did some real ace piloting in that scene, shooting uh, immobile Y wings. <laughs> like, come on, it was 1977. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's <laughs> speaking of that scene. Uh, that was a great scene, just from an audio perspective. Like, if you turn the TV off and just like listen to all the drama they create with the comms, it's great. Uh, I I gotta it. say. I, a lot of people give like Star Wars some flack for its like script and stuff like that. Like the moments in the earlier films, specifically New Hope, and I actually think Rogue One, um, because Rogue One has footage from a New Hope. Um, like the the dogfighting stuff just sounds so cool. I what I when in Rogue One when the uh, like Gold Squadron and Blue Squadron check in, I. I started crying in the theater. I was like, I was like, whoa, this is, this is, this is rough. I'm, I'm tearing up right now. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Squadron. That, that ladies and gentlemen, is nerd credibility. If you've never experienced nerd shows like that, where you have tears, I, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like that, that's, the visuals don't have to be great because the audio drama in those comps was great. Yeah, no, I've actually seen people like remake that scene with like World War II planes. And then also there was, I don't know if you guys ever played that old game planet side. Yes. Uh, but someone did like a, they did a remake of the, the trench run with like planet side reavers and mosquitoes and stuff. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And they just played That's the dope. audio right over it. But yeah. Uh, anyway, let's talk about Legion. <laughs> so, what, what's Legion? That's, yeah. That scene. That scene is just as immortal as our troopers in Phase Two is. Yikes! <laughs> yes. Yikes! All right, Zach. I hear you played a game this weekend. I did. Um, like an actual game on a real I, table. I did. Uh, I had a rare moment where I had time to myself. Um, ironically, Mike here messaged me during it. He's like, "Hey, uh, I hate field goals because he was watching a Patriots game," and I was like, "Mike, I'm not watching the Patriots." I'm playing Legion. And he's like, real Legion? I'm like, yes, in my garage. And uh, yeah, he's shaking his head at me. But I have my priorities straight, okay? It's, it's all good. We all know the Patriots season doesn't start <laughs> until the playoffs. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, my wife was going up. My parents were coming up. And I had a buddy that I know is, like, pretty safe with, like, the quarantine and stuff. So I was like, why don't you come up and we'll throw some stuff on the table and play in my garage. Um, he had a really big bid with a Dooku AAT list and we played VAPs. So what ended up happening is I put a VAP in a forward position 
to make the fight happen. Cause if I put both VAPs in like a spot far back, all he's going to do is hit me with his AAT and just, I have nothing to do about it. So I put my VAP maybe a little too forward because I ended up losing round six because he ended up swarming me with his droids. But I, I made it a game just because I put a VAP in a position that forced a fight to actually happen. Cause I was right on blue. I was right on VAPs and I had to have the fight happen. Um, I killed his AAT at like the start of like round three. So I had that going for me, but the problem is that Dooku does a lot, especially where I'm for, I have my VAP forward placed and I have to have bodies insulating that VAP because if I don't hit that VAP, I can't win the game. So like I had my sniper strikes like back on my back VAP and everything else kind of forward, but the way timing and everything happened, like Dooku was able to just do too much. And then the droids just kind of swarmed in last minute because they were hiding behind like a building. Um, but we were joking about it before the cast of my table will look terrible. Um, I didn't have the table here and I didn't have a mat here because I keep it uh, at a remote location. Um, Cause sometimes I play at my, at my place of work. Somebody might okay. steal it. They gotta keep it <laughs> off site. No, I, I usually play at my place of work, but since everything hit the fan, I haven't played. So, remote location. That sounds like some kind of Legion black site or something. A secret have, rebel base. But a secure perhaps. location. Okay. All right. Hold on. To be completely fair, my wife has no clue at how much terrain that I own. So some of that is not at the house on purpose because I own so much terrain that is not right. Um, Watch out, Zach. Behind you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so she doesn't know about half this terrain. So that's part of the reason. And she also doesn't know that I have like four mats there too. So like. These are all things like I like, so yeah, remote location, they're hidden. Okay. Um, so this is like a last minute thing. I didn't bring any of that stuff home. So I knew he had a fold up table there. I knew he had a mat. I was like, Hey, grab a table, grab a mat. I've got some terrain here. We'll do, we'll make, we'll make the best of it. And when I say we make the best of it, it was really not the best of it. It was a Hoth mat with, with unpainted terrain and there's forest stuff. There's sand stuff. But you know what? It was in real life Legion. I won't complain about it. It was awesome. I'll throw a picture of it up on the video. Yeah, there you go. Um, it felt great rolling dice. Like, it just felt so good to just roll real dice. And that's not a knock on TTS, right? Whatever. I mean, TTS dice is another conversation. But like to actually take those dice and roll them into a dice tray and like, I don't know. Like another thing too is right. we, we put up the table. We throw the mat down. We put up the terrain. We get all armies out. We did this. We played a game and set it up and tore down in like two hours and 45 minutes. And yeah, that's quick. I get that. But at the same time, like that's kind of normal for Legion, right? It just felt good to do all those things though. I know that sounds weird, but it felt good to put up the table. It felt good to roll that mat out. It felt good to put the terrain on. And it was just yesterday felt great. Um, just to get things on the table. Wait, I mean, you felt like you were actually playing a war game, right? Like you felt like you were playing Legion. Like TTS is great, right? Yes, but it's a great tool. It is such a a hollow thing compared to the face-to-face play. Like, let's be real, right? Like as much as I love TTS, as much as I love the opportunities it affords us during this pandemic, it is still a hollow hollow experience because you don't get the face-to-face and you don't get the physical rolling the dice and being with that other player you just miss out on that stuff. I've come to figure out after playing yesterday that while I like measure a lot of things on TTS recently, because I've played on TTS so often, 
I just don't care measuring as much as I used to, right? Like I used to measure like everything. And now I'm just like, kind of like I go with the flow because I've just played so many games on TTS. It's whatever. Like yesterday when I'm hovering over the table and just having those, and it sounds ridiculous. Okay. But just having those range rulers to just measure certain bands and measure movements and like just figuring everything out on a table. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like I went from playing like three games a week to like one, if I'm lucky. And I thought I'd be super rusty on the table, right? Like on a real, especially on a real table where I haven't played in a while. And like, I didn't feel any rust. I just felt like I was in the natural like habitat for myself. And it just felt like, I can't, I can't even put it into words. It just felt so good. Since you play clones, just like the simulations. <laughs> hey, to be fair, clones are not undefeatable. I did lose. So, okay. You were playing Kenobi. It really doesn't count. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, <sighs> I was saying this earlier. Kenobi could be like 125 points. He still wouldn't be better than Rex, and it's not close. You will pry a Force user out of my cold, dead hands. Whether it's Luke or Kenobi, you're going to have to kill me and take that model out of my hands. Whether it's a virtual model Luke or a physical model. Luke is great, model. just to be clear. Luke is fantastic, and Kenobi would be fantastic if he was a rebel. I mean, you could play a faction with a good Force user. <laughs> Kenobi's a great on, force, a great user, force just user, just to be clear. He's just We're... not better than the other things that you can take. You know, and he's on our outline, so why don't we save why don't we table this conversation until we get to that topic? Because you wrote an article about Mr. Kenobi. I did. A very, a very long article that I stand by. Uh oh, joke not intended. There. I'm I'm ready to have it out. I'm ready to go. No what before we move on though, I do want to ask the question. Did you use silhouettes and how did it go? Didn't use them once. Um, but that's probably familiar, uh, like being familiar with my opponent. Um, whenever I play Legion in real life, him, him and I play once, sometimes twice a week. Um, so like it, we had them on the table to be ready, um, but it never came up with us. Um, but that again, that was just me knowing my opponent. And him and I being comfortable with everything going on. Totally like, cool, man. I yeah, was just you know? asking the question. Yeah. I, I will say that that table that you, you if we get a pick in, in here, um, then like that table is actually pretty silhouette friendly. As 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 uh, yes. hideous as you think the unpainted terrain is, like all that stuff has very straight edges. Yes. Right? It's very blocky. Uh, I might have done that on purpose. Right, but it's like why, why specifically four silhouettes? Uh, no, I don't. I, I never thought that it would be an issue with me and my buddy, to be honest with you, with silhouettes. But I didn't want to put rounded terrain out and then have all these like crazy shots because I have trees and I do have round buildings down in my basement. But I did bring out the blocky stuff, um, and then I brought some good. They, they might look ugly on this table, but they are good area terrain pieces. To be fair, they just look ugly on a Hoff map. <laughs> Yeah, and that's actually those are great terrain pieces. It's just they're not painted, which I have tons of unpainted terrain. Like most yeah. of my terrain is unpainted. That looks I, a lot like one of my tables. I don't know what was going through my mind when I bought unpainted terrain because I had the option to buy it painted. Of course, it's a lot more money, but I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? Painting terrain is kind of fun when you get in the zone. And then I did like one building, and I was like, why the heck did I do this? Um, so needless to say, it's probably just gonna be unpainted for a long time. Yeah, I'm. It's a struggle to get me to paint my models. You want me to paint terrain? You crazy? What? No, absolutely not. To be fair, this was kind of like a 
mid pandemic, like passion goal of mine when I wasn't working and I had more time to like do it. So I was like, Oh yeah, this is a good idea. I got the time to do this during nap time and sleep time. And my wife was still working cause she was a nurse, you know, she's a nurse and she was still working at that time. So I was like, yeah, I could paint all this terrain and uh, uh, it didn't happen. I think I painted like three pieces of terrain ever, but and I liked it. But then again, like I didn't have to like store it or, you know, play on it. So, I mean, it, it's nice, right? It's like a nice idea. But like you say, Zach, you know, you have a hard enough time painting models. I, I'm very impressed that people that have like tables at home of terrain that they've painted. Yeah. Much less, like we have some friends that have multiple tables. Of, well, you're being, you're being conservative. John yeah. and Gordon have like, 12 tables between the two of them and matt yeah, yeah i just like i it's it's silly we have so many tables here uh, those those guys are really impressive i um but between I the three of them we we can we can hold a prime championship to like max capacity like easy, oh yeah easy no like, question it, it's yeah. yeah yeah it's it's impressive i mean you know and just like me personally i remember back in junior high school playing 40k on a ping pong table with like cereal boxes and uh tennis shoes and textbooks as terrain so like even just the unpainted stuff you know zach your table looks great in my opinion yeah i the first table i ever built and the only table i've ever built just to be clear (laughs) i built it out of two by fours the whole thing was built out of two by fours it was like a helms deep thing and like the bottom of the board was just like plywood and then i like cut two by fours into various shapes and just nailed it to the plywood like and (laughs) and uh yeah it was super blocky everything was huge uh because you're using two by fours you really can't can't sorry i'm i'm just kind of laughing because i'm (laughs) Uh, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Tolkien and and Helm's Deep, and then thinking of these two by fours with na- just nailed to plywood and like it it was it was super, uh you know just kind of half I won't say it was haphazardly put together like there were wall segments and stuff and I kind of you know we planned it all out and I I cut like little crenellations into the two by fours and stuff. But it like it didn't look good, and and it was all one piece. Like it was a six foot by four foot board made out of two by fours. It was like a hundred, two hundred pounds. To, we needed like four people to pick it up and move it. <laughs> it was so bad. And then we never painted it because it was all made out of wood. It was like like what are we? What are you gonna do with this? Like you can't. You could like the wood just soaked up the paint. Like we tried to paint it a little bit, and it was just like it was terrible. Well, you got to treat it first. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'm sure, oh, but we no. were like 12 and had no idea what we were doing. So you know, we were trying to like paint onto the wood, and it's just like soaking in. We were like, ah, what, what, what are we doing wrong? So we just left it. So it was just, it, you know, I mean, bare wood. Home Deep. Oh, Home Depot has all those things. The pre-wood treatment. We didn't paint, have cars, Zach. <laughs> sil- silhouettes, tape measures, you know. Hey, Dad, can you go to Home Depot and get me some, uh, um, some like, deck stain for my Helm's yeah. Deep table? And you got to understand, where I grew up, 
Home Depot was a 45 minute. Everything was a 45 minute drive. Like, uh, there was a grocery store six miles away and it was like a mom and pop thing. You had to go all the way to the city, which was like a 40 minute drive from my house to get to anything. Um, yeah. It, so home Depot was kind of a stretch on, on those terms, you know? Um, so yeah. Well, we've all come a long way and there's nothing wrong with using, Whatever you got in your house for terrain. <laughs> no, totally not. I just, you know, uh, I th- think that once you kind of like level up, you feel like you can never go back a lot of the time, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we've had games where I'm like, man, a cereal box would make a great line of sight blocker on this table, but can't do it. Yeah, I mean, we got to get your stuff painted. Specifically, yes. like those craters and stuff. I think the buildings oh, yeah. are mostly okay, but uh, yeah, no, we do. I need to work on that. That's I have too many models that I need to paint still. And, and you got an airbrush, like it should be, it should be easy, easy fun times for you. <laughs> You'd think so, but airbrushing still takes time, and terrain is big. <laughs> okay, this is why I'm extra impressed with people that managed to actually do it. It's easier to do with, all right, here, this is, why don't we go to Hobby Talk and push it to Hobby Talk because like. Okay, let's do Hobby Talk. It's part of that. Get out your brush and paint. It's Hobby Time. All right, go ahead. So the thing about the airbrush is this. You have paints that actually match the paint that you would use like hand painting, right? Like, like you have. I'm assuming you have GW airbrush paint or something like that along those lines. No, no. Um, it's a uh, Vallejo. Okay. Vallejo. It's cause like you spray something through an airbrush. It goes really fast. If you're like those Citadel air paints, <laughs> you buy like one can and it lasts for one coat. And you're like, Oh, well, all right. Then that's gone. There's six bucks down the but tubes. That's part of the thing. So Vallejo ha- has paints that I'm sure that are close to some of the paints you own in your Citadel or Vallejo or whatever you have for hand painting. I mean, right. Mm -hmm. They're close to that. The issue that I run into without having an airbrush, which I'm probably going to get soon because that will actually get my painted, my, my terrain painted is that when you use a rattle can, which is good for terrain, like I usually do like automotive paint and then like I use like a rattle can of like Krylon. The issue is that I cannot find paint colors that match the Krylon colors unless it's like black and white and terrain's not just black and white. There's tons of different colors for terrain. So my issue is without an airbrush, I actually cannot match those colors correctly, which is a major problem, especially for my OCD brain. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's easier with an airbrush than it is without an airbrush. I just, I still can't get past that barrier. I mean, color matching generally, I I find between brands, like whether you're airbrushing or not is really difficult i've found um like i personally think the gw paints are amazing but i'm unwilling to pay the price for them for the most part at this juncture in my life um i generally use army painter stuff which i like less but am happy enough with like you have to I find that I have to water down army painter paints way more than I have to with GW stuff. Um, GW stuff tends to be like way more ready to go 
and I also hate that like army painter stuffs and like droppers GWs like you can like shake it up and like open the lid and use the little the like thing on the inside to like grab a little paint if you just need to do like a touch up or something right um which I really enjoy I love it um here I am giving bonuses to GW again god uh but I mean they know what they're doing um but yeah I find like matching like I've got a an old um I've got some old miniatures from some of my like Warhammer and Lord of the Rings stuff that I did with GW paints before that I tried to like match colors with army painter stuff and it's just I I, I can't get it right. I don't know. I mean I've even run into that within the same brand. Like I have some GW paints that are probably fifteen years old. And you know, it's it's notionally the same color, but they're not. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's, um, I don't know. I find that frustrating, especially when whatever color you were using was, like, a large part of the model, right? Like, you you did all your Space Marine armor in, like, a particular color, and then, like, five years go by, and, like, this new suite, like, they come out with Primera Space Marines, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to add some Primera Space Marines to my regular Space Marine armor. You go to get the same color, and it turns out that it's, like, a slightly different shade. You put them on the table, and they look like they're, I don't know, different. Yeah, uh, that happened with my Dark Angels. They're green. There's a, there's a color that's literally called... Well, it used to be called Dark Angels Green. I think it still is. I think no. I think now it's called Caliban Green. Oh, yeah, they right. changed right. it to right. Caliban. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. So but it's, it's supposed to be the same color. But I had like my old Dark Angels models that I painted with Dark Angels Green, and then I had to buy Caliban Green, and I put it on there, and I'm like, this does not look the same. And, and just to be clear for all our viewers that are unfamiliar with Dark Angels, Caliban is the homeworld of the Dark Angels, so it still yes. makes sense. It's right. not like it's just like another green with a random title. Like it's it's clearly intended to be the same color. They've saved like a fraction of a cent printing the labels, ergo the name change. I I think it might have been a copyright thing, but maybe I don't know. Oh, maybe uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's there's a lot of colors that have changed names over the years, too. I don't know why they do it. Yeah, I don't know why they do it either. I have gunmetal, which is now apparently gunmetal. I, I don't know. They changed a lot of it to sound, to like roll off the tongue a little easier. Like Dark Angels Green doesn't sound very flashy, but Caliban mm. Green kind of I don't know. It's it sounds better. I think I I learned that that their orange base color is Jacaero orange. Yeah, thank Jacaero. you, thank you, Sarastro, for yeah. pronouncing it correctly for all of us who were confused. It's really bright too. Yeah, it's super bright, that orange base color. It's also really transparent, as oranges and yellows tend to be. I hate oranges and yellows, man. They're so hard. I mean, they're in the in the category of hard to paint with. I, I also find red can be tough sometimes. Like, it just, the, the pigments tend to be way harder to get a solid consistency on. Yeah, speaking of red, I painted or started painting some IRG. Who are... Yeah are uh, pretty much entirely red. <laughs> I, oh, the I reference. Making... Kyle put these in our chat, and I was like, what the heck are those? As yeah. in, not not in the paint job. The paint job's great. But as in, he, this guy's like built a ton of droids, but he's painting IRG. Like, what are you doing? You got to remember, mean, this is the dude that won Nova with Palpatine. With half-painted IRG. Yes. <laughs> Which, shame. 
which has been on my list to finish. So I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing. I need to, they were basically just base coated red, which I did for Nova specifically. Um, cause it was kind of a last minute situation with Palpatine, which we talked about. That was a year ago. <laughs> so I essentially played him accidentally, but I'm like, I need to go back and, uh, and fix these guys. So I started doing some proper blending with the red. When you have a mini that's like literally one color, I was looking up, I was looking at pictures of IRG, you know, like in Canon pictures of IRG. And I'm like, man, there is, these guys are just red. There's that's it. So you got to do some blending and stuff to make, to make the model have some depth since it is all one color. So I wanted to talk a little bit about blending. Because I don't think we've done that yet for Hobby Talk, right? No, we have not had a segment on blending, no. So blending is, it's it's a little bit more like, it's sort of one step beyond dry brushing and washing. Basically, you're mixing paints. So typically what I'll do is, so for these guys, I, I got my darkest red and I base coated them in the darkest red that I have. And then I took like the next... So that was here. I'm using Citadel paints here. I actually, have all the colors. That was corn red. I don't know if it's still called this or not. It is. But, okay. It is. Um, I think it used to be called Blood for the Blood God or something like that. I don't know. That's that's the technical paint. That's the. Oh, okay. Well, um. Anyway, dark red. And then I took my next my next brightish red, um, and basically uh, used a wet palette, which I think we have talked about wet palettes. Yes. Yes. What is this Mephist? Would you use Mephiston next? Uh, so the, the pot that I have is Evil Sun Scarlet. Again, not sure if it's still called that or not. Some of my paints are like I'm assuming old. it's Mephiston just looking at the color. Yeah. Uh, yeah you but, can tell it's not by the label being blue. Okay. It's a layer paint. Yeah, that's a layer. Oh, yeah, you're right. Blue, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm Mr. Citadel over here. So. Oh, yeah. No worries. Um, so, yeah, a wet palette is basically, I actually have it right here. It is uh, a sheet of, it's a tray. And in that tray is a sponge. Looks like you slaughtered an animal on it. <laughs> I was just well, going to say. I was blending red. <laughs> Spooky season here. <laughs> sponge, right? And then on top of that sponge is a sheet of acrylic paper, which is covered in red. Um, and essentially, when you're blending, you just you put a pool of that dark, dark color on the, at least this is how I do it, on that wet palette. And then I just add like a little bit of the lighter red. And then you mix it up. There's a handy little technical paint called Lamian Medium, which is just medium. It's, it basically just thins your paint without making it watery, if that makes sense. So it lets you paint with it for longer, which when you're painting four models at once and you're blending is important so that it doesn't dry out. Because as soon as that paint dries out, you're screwed because you've lost that color. You can't, we just talked about recreating colors, right? Like you are very screwed. Luckily, um, Wet palettes come with a tray. So if you have to stop for some reason, you can just put that tray right over it and it's like airtight so the paint doesn't dry. Anyway, uh, so you just add a little bit of lighter red and then you go over to the, you know, cloaks are great examples because cloaks have nice, like defined edges. You go over a slightly more raised area with that lighter red and you just rinse and repeat basically until you get to that color that you're mixing in, which is that lighter red. And then you just paint over with that. And then you do the same thing with the next color progression up. It's time consuming but it looks great on cloth. And in this case, I'm only painting four models. I only have four IRG. So I'm like, I can do this. You know, I'm not painting 48 droids this way. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong. 
I've seen people paint their entire armies this way. And um, there's a, a droid player that's been posting some pics on the Discord. Who's they're just amazing, and they're all blended. Uh, and there was also, you know, we featured that Imperial Army on the blog a little bit ago, and those were all like hand blended, every single model. Uh, my hat is off to you. <laughs> I do not have the time to do that, but I can do four models. So anyway, that's what I'm, I'm, they're not quite done yet. You can see that, um, you know, it's the color's not quite deep enough. Uh, I got to add, add some more light red slash pink slash orange to this and, uh, bring it up a little bit further. So there's more contrast, but yeah, that's blending. And basically just raising that color up to get that contrast rolling. So you, you have the your eye like can see the depth more clearly in the in the actual sculpt because yep. it tends to just wash it all out if it's just one color one flat color you, you lose all that detail yeah and you can get a similar effect with basically highlighting like if you just skip all those in between steps you paint the dark red and then you go ahead and you just paint the light red you can you can do that you just get less um like less gradients between the between the colors so it's not as smooth but and on and on cloak too. on the cloaks like the IRG that you have there, I think that that blending technique you mentioned is really important because the, you know, relatively speaking, it's kind of flat. So like for example, the Rebel Troopers have this with their coats, and I did that method where you paint, you know, like the you have like a dark color, a medium color, and a bright color, and so you paint the medium color, but then everything flattens out because you leave the shade, and there's there it's a very sharp transition between the dark color and the medium color. And blending like softens that transition, makes it look more natural, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's. I do. I'll do edge highlighting or dry brushing if if you're looking at a model like a B one, that has a lot of hard edges and crevices and stuff like that. If you do just, I mean, for them, I literally just did like base coat, you know, Zenithal with an airbrush, and then wash, dry brush, boom, call it a day because they have so many hard edges and crevices, the crevice eats up that wash and the hard edges, you know, are as great for dry brushing. But if you've got like an organic or something like a, like cloth where it's a lot of smooth edges and stuff like that, um, I feel like it's worth it in those instances to take the time to blend. I did not do that with my Rebel Troopers, which is why they look terrible. <laughs> yeah, mine look Because I wasn't going to do it like, like 35 times, but... Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that uh, blending is something that, like, if you want to take the time to, like, make your models look good, you should pretty much do it on every model, I, I feel like. I don't know. Um, like, it's a technique that is pretty common. You know, I think... Yeah, I'm not saying just do it with cloth. Dry brushing. You know, I think cloth is... Cloth is the place where I do it the most. Like I, I did that with my IRG, except it was black to like a black gray. And I did it like, I did the same thing with like my Vaders and stuff. Um, uh, and I tried to do it with my Stormtroopers, but it didn't work out. <laughs> like it just... White is really hard to do that way. Yeah, I, I tried to and I uh, pretty much... Every time I paint a new stormtrooper, I just kind of skip the blend in because it's not worth it. Yeah, blending white's really hard. So is black, but white's probably more difficult. Yeah, I think I like black is my go-to color 
so I do it a lot. So it kind of is. I I feel like I can make it look a lot better. Um, so. Anyway, that's my blending, blending bit. You guys got any more hobby bits other than what we talked about already? I painted one arc trooper. Well um, done. Took took me thirty five minutes. Again, I was like in the zone doing this thing. Painted it up thirty five minutes. I'm feeling great. I got two more arc models. I'm thinking I'm gonna bang the squad out tonight. And the baby woke up. Uh, my wife was asleep, and the baby decided to stay up, uh, which you know I'm grateful for. I love to spend time with my kids, uh, even in the middle of the night. Um, you know, she's cute. She's cute as a button. But at the same time, I'm like, listen here, cute as button, baby girl. I got art troopers I want to paint, and I got some paint poured. Like, what are you doing? Um, she didn't. She didn't comply. She she just wanted to stay awake and stay in daddy's arms. So I got one art trooper. Felt really efficient for a while, and then efficiency went right down the window. Do you not batch paint your squads? I, I used to, and then I had another kid. Okay. Um, All right. I just I figured I'd ask. I I find that going back to the never getting colors right thing. Like I generally do like one squad at a time, so that when I mix stuff, I can at least keep it coherent within the squad. I have the same technique for my for my clones every squad, so it doesn't matter when I do it. So that's like the thing. I originally was gonna do it one way. Um, I realized it was not gonna be possible real quickly. So whether it's phase ones, Rex, Obi-Wan, phase twos, arcs, it doesn't matter. The technique is the same every single time. Um, they're not going to be like the best looking clone army of all time, but it, it looks great to me. And I like the outcome that I get with it, actually. So I just roll with it. Like, um, I mean, honestly, like before kid two and my, I got my kid on my, my, my other kid on a good sleeping schedule. He'd go to bed, wife go to work. I would I was painting phase like phase twos pretty quickly, especially when I was rushing to get them ready for Adepticon had it happened. So I was cranking out squads a night, honestly. Um now, no, definitely not batch painting. Um and that's just because with the newborn, it's just tough. Like you never know where gonna when they're gonna wake up. Like I either have three hours or I have three minutes. It's you it's Russian roulette with a kid yeah it, I feel interesting you. that you use russian roulette as a <laughs> as the analogy there instead of like i don't know like gambling or something well, let's <laughs> a dark turn uh, yeah i mean well a kid is like a loaded gun you don't know if they want to poop they want to eat they can't they can't tell you what they want so i get to pull the trigger on one of those things and hope for the best um Sometimes you overfeed them and they spit up a lot because you thought they were hungry, but they really needed to go to the bathroom. It, it, it is what it is. I think Mike's point is there are plenty of uh, non-lethal gambling alternatives. <laughs> I, I know what his point was, but yeah. I, I tried to spin it into a logical yeah, thing. I, I was following okay. you, Zach. It was a loaded poop gun. I just, exactly. I'm, not, I'm not sure that we should equate parenthood with playing Russian roulette. <laughs> I, it, just, it seems like, the, I don't know. Seems act the actual counterproduction of you know raising a, a new a new being as opposed to taking a life you know I don't know. It's just it's just the circle of life you know the old has to make way for the new. 
Should we move on to Intercept 101? Please, dear God, get us out of here. Wait, wait, wait. Do we have any controversial items this week to skip over? Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> no, we've, we've postponed it like four times. I think we should actually talk about it. It's okay. Time. We're going to make it controversial. I got this. Uh, We're going to do it. <laughs> get ready for advanced tactics. All right. So intercept the transmissions. Let's take this in stages. The first is how do you approach this objective, tactically speaking? So I think that there are two viable ways to do this. Uh, there's probably varied approaches of both. But there's one... So before we dive too much further, Intercept is clearly like a three-node king of the hill where it gets checked three times over the course of the game at the end of turn two turn four and then at the end of the game whenever that is which, which is, is a super important note which is the controversial part that we'll get to later oh, uh, right. i feel you <laughs> yeah uh but so you can either take an aggressive approach and score your points early or take a less aggressive approach and score your points late um generally intercept goes down to a tie because generally speaking two of the nodes are like air quotes safe that's like less common these days i think uh specifically with some of the newer deployments um but traditionally there's generally one safe node for either player and you're fighting over like the middle one um even on deployments like battle lines we're notionally you can contest any of the three. Personally, I find that most players, myself included, tend to kind of pick two of them and focus on those two. And then the other player sort of naturally picks the other two and focuses on those two. It's like an unlike it's like an unspoken like thing that everyone kind of like does for the most part without even thinking about it, right? I, I think it's a consequence of just the scope of legion games you often don't have enough units to feel like you can contest three points effectively um you really have to kind of pick which two you're going to dedicate units to um and fight over and often you're picking one that is like there, there's clearly one that your opponent is the least likely to um basically contest so you often throw like two units back there, maybe even just one, depending on how defensible it is. Like, and often those units are pretty flimsy. Like, they're like a sniper team or you know like a naked rebel trooper unit or something, and they're just there to kind of sit there, um, or it, it, you know shoot at a high range. Um, like FD turrets are like great for that if you can get them on top of the intercept point or whatever with like a scouting move or something. Um, so yeah, I think I think that that uh, there are some unique units that are coming into play, and you know, priority supplies I think um, change that a little bit with the deployments and like units like Staps and Mandalorians and Imperial Special Forces. I feel vital like, assets. Yeah, vital assets. Sorry. Yeah. Right, you know. Sorry. No, you're right. I I got to get the name right. That's that's important. Um, but I think that a lot of that stuff has changed some of the calculus on this 
to a pretty high degree. Like if you if you airdrop an ISF unit so that it's like threatening the safe like your opponent's safe one at the beginning of the game, but they're also like behind a line of sight blocker, like all of a sudden, you know, your opponent's gotta start considering, well, I, I have to commit more than a strike team because, you know, all of you know, the ISF unit's gonna like beat it in a one on one duel hands down. Like it's not gonna be close. Um and staps are like super effective. They're they're like the speeder bikes we always wanted, you know, um, and and they can go where we want them to, you know. And and mandos are just real good too. So, um, I would put arc troopers with jump packs into the equation, but I don't think people are really putting jump packs on them right now. I want to add something just to this as well, and and this kind of goes back to something you were saying earlier about a lot of people don't feel like they have enough army to contest three points. Um, so I guess a lot of that is the product of the fact that in Legion, if you have an imbalance anywhere on the board, you don't want that that disfavorable imbalance to persist. And so what people will do is they'll try to stack as much of their army in one area of the board as possible, just concentrate concentrate their forces in one place so that they have the best chance of surviving contact with the enemy. And um, if you're spread out a lot, you're taking a huge risk that one of your elements gets overwhelmed and then you're just behind. And so you're trying to like, you're focusing on two because you have one that's like the easiest for you to play for. And then you have the other one, which you can play for with all your might. So you're trying to like maximize it that way. I, I think that that's a really good point. It's kind of an exacerbation of the issue that a lot of people have with infiltrate generally and like why infiltrate gets a bad rap as like it's, it's bad. And I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but I do think it's relevant. Um, like, when whenever the whole reason to keep your army together is so that you can fire all your guns once you're engaged like anytime that you've got one guy engaged with even if he's outnumbered like you're like and it's not their whole army you're still at a disadvantage there um you know some some things can get around that and i think like uh, like mandos or i think are actually pretty good at that you know, like they, they, they just jump in there, get in melee and like, you're like, okay, I'm in, I'm in. I, you know, and I think that a lot of melee units specifically, um, if they can safely get into a situation, they can kind of beat that premise. Cause, right. cause like and, your enemy can't bring the guns to bear. Right. Right. Or they'll fight to the death and trade up. Right. Exactly. Um, right. you know, uh, I think that's something that like operative vader is very good at if you're able to get him in there you know force choke plus his saber can you know basically gut three units in one turn if you really are you know doing what you want to do and um he might not actually trade out points wise if he goes in one turn but he often can do enough damage um, right he'll he'll give you enough of a he'll buy you enough time essentially yeah um but anyways let's get back to intercept now that we've kind of addressed that um, I think intercept might be one of my favorites, if not my favorite objective. And, and and the reason for that is that it's always changing. And you kind of both brought that up. Mandos changed the math. Infiltrating red save units like ISF changed the math, and it changes how you can play intercept. And I think that's healthy for the game. Um, my my thing about intercept. And Mike, you alluded to it, and I don't know if we want to dive into it right now or not, but we can, you know, we can circle back on it. Is 
Intercept is really tricky because if you're playing a timed match or, or a tournament, especially with the new scoring system, which, you know, with MLV, um, intercept becomes really wonky. And a situation where a defensive player like Kyle and I want to play defensive and score round six in, you know, rounds four and six rather than, you know, rounds two and four, that changes the dichotomy of the game for us because we have to decide if we think we're going to get to round six. And that's something you have to address early on with your opponent. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a hard convoluted thing to discuss, I guess, like in, in full, but basically you have to, if you're playing a time game at a tournament and it's MOV, right. You basically have to decide the moment you're deploying with your opponent. If you think you're going to get to six, because Kyle, you have to, you know, maybe, you know, you can take this a little bit further than me, but in a game where, you know, you have to be aggressive I'm assuming you're like me, you deploy a lot differently than a game where you're going to play defensive. And it, it's kind of hard to judge, an, you know, a player that you've never played against at a tournament, right? Let's say it's somebody you've never played, okay? And you're playing a time game and it matters. You have to make make that judgment call during turn zero on whether you think you're going to get to that six point. And you have to make a, the, like, the decision if you're going to play aggressive or defensive. And... For players that want to play defensive and they play defensive most of the times, like Kyle and I, that's a tough decision to make at turn zero because you're relying on a social contract that's going to get you to turn six. And that's an unwritten like contract. Like you don't have to go to six. I get that. Right. Yeah, it's it's, it's and not it, enforceable. It, it's right. And, and again, that's like another like rabbit hole kind of discussion, but it's a legitimate problem with intercept um, that I'm sure that's what you were alluding to, Mike. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that we should talk about the strategy and tactics behind intercept before we jump into into that portion of it because I, I do think I will actively avoid intercept in a tournament scenario for that reason. But isn't it, so? It's kind of intertwined. Like so, like let's say if I know I'm going to six, I will play defensive game and go for scoring on four and six. Let's put it that way. Like that's my opinion on intercept. Um, I will try and play the attrition game on rounds, you know, one through four to then get myself in a position to score four through six and get in my, get myself in a position position to either tie with points scored or maybe overtake the points by doing some other things. Now that's how I play Legion. Now, like back when I was playing Luke Sabine a year or so ago, I would use Sabine as like a back like intercept like threat and i would take the rest of my army and like sabine would be in harasser and that's like a legit threat i think with mandos now and with isf is they can harass quote unquote safe you know intercepts and that changes again that changes the whole point of intercept like intercept again like you said two are safe you know one or two are safe and one of one of each is for each person and then one in the middle is what you're kind of fighting over but if you have mobile flanking units or infiltrating units that can change that up, it makes the game better. Like that, that keeps the game of intercept fresh, but you still need to decide how that's going to go in terms of how many rounds you're going to play. I, I understand that it's a deeper discussion on one end, but that 100% plays into how intercept plays, I think. 
Well, let's so let, for the purposes of at least the strategy portion of this, let's assume that you're going to play six rounds. Because that should be the expectation. Now, whether right. that is or not, as, as we can have that discussion later. And we've already talked about time and chess clocks somewhat recently on this episode in much more depth. But for the purposes of, of tactics, let's just assume that we're talking about six round intercept here. And yeah, I will play defensive and go for four in, in six. That's just how I is how my mind operates when playing Legion. Yeah, so there I think um when we're talking about intercept and ideologies behind playing it, there's definitely an aggressive tact and there's a defensive tact. And I often think that um the aggressive one, people kind of screw it up because they don't understand what they're doing. And and I don't mean that to be mean, but oftentimes people assume that intercept is going to be a tiebreaker. Like it's going to be like often what happens is you both score your home on turn on turn two and somebody scores the middle one. And so it's two to one. Right. And then the assumption is that if you're if you're being aggressive and you're the person that scored the middle one, you also take a two to one advantage on turn four. So it's four to two. And then the assumption I think a lot of aggressive players make is that they can afford to lose the middle and then win on points. And the flaw behind this strategy is that if you lost the middle as the aggressive player, you are down on points almost every time. And and I think that if you're looking at this, and, and I want to make this clarification because this is, a tra- this is a trap that I think aggressive players fall into on intercept, is that it's about the tiebreak at the end of the game and because your opponent will score four to two you've already gone four to two it'll be in a six to six tie and you're supposed to win on points but if you've lost the middle and you've been entrenched there for at least four turns you are likely losing on points an aggressive player their actual game plan probably is not to take the middle on turn two it's to take the middle on turns four and six and you are going to win on points and i want to make that distinction because i think that it's an important thing with with how to time your aggressive plays because you're often not going to be able to win the game on points if you're doing it, if you're getting as aggressive as you need to be. Um, conversely, the d- more defensive strat that I'm sure that you guys are going to talk about in more de- depth is to basically just outweigh your opponent and cap two objectives on you know turn turn six. Um, and only have capped one on the previous turns and then win on points that way. And oftentimes you can do that as a gun line very easily um, by allowing your opponent to walk into the middle intercept point and by extension allowing them to just walk into your guns kind of free of charge. And the idea there is that you weather them down enough that you basically can just walk in and take it at the end of the game. Um, It can obviously get more complicated than that, but I think that those are the two strategies that are available and i wanted to clarify the aggressive one because i think it's important that we do that um so if you guys want to go in more in depth that would be great yeah i want to say that the first that turn two intercept scoring regardless of which of those options you take almost for the middle point almost never matters in practice now if you're you know if you have R2 or Bounty, and you're talking about ways to get additional victory points that can change the calculus a little bit. But in my experience, like you said, if you're an aggressive player, 
It's about both the turn four and turn six scoring. And the turn two scoring is at best the trap and at worst kind of relevant. And the turn six scoring for the defensive player is really all that you care about, in my experience. I think those are both valid strategies depending on what kind of list you have and what the table looks like. There are tables, for example, that have a decent size line of sight blocker in the middle where one player can essentially just score the middle for free, right? Without risk. There are tables where that's possible. And if that's the case, then you can't be that defensive player and just be like, well, I'll just wait for six and then I'll do the scoring. Because you have to be, at some point, you have to be killing units to get up on points for that to work. Unless you're a blue player and then you can, in theory, just win a zero zero <laughs> points time. Right. Assuming you can make it the victory points tied, which is another important factor. Blue player doesn't usually come into play with intercept, but it can. You know, if nothing dies and you have a 6 6 victory point situation, then blue player wins. I'd like to talk about secret mission, though, also. Um, yeah, go ahead. So a lot of times, um, you'll see deployments where you have a victory or not a victory, a deployment zone that is close to the central point, the center, the center of intercept point. There are some strategies that you can employ with your R2 unit or any secret mission unit really Padme is included in this where you can, you can do a fork because often what happens is turn six comes down to unit leaders. And like Kyle, you and I played a game of intercept recently where it was all about unit leader counting at the end. Like it was, I guess it was KP, but it's the same, same it's rule KP. applies yep. here. Same the same rule applies. You're trying to count unit leaders to figure out who's going to actually get it on six. If you've been playing to that point. And, and what you can do with R2D2 is you can put him in a place where he has a choice. I think you can do this even without blast off. You can put him in a place where um, if, if you're going to lose the middle, you just run for secret mission and if your opponent is, if you, and if you can win the middle with RTD2, you just walk into the middle, and like your opponent can't really handle it. Yeah, I mean, either way, you're either way you're getting a point, a, <laughs> whatever a good, that a is. A good example of that is Luke Cook actually did that in the Invader League Season Five Finals against me. Like, right. it, and there wasn't much I could do about it. Like R2 was either going to score a secret mission or he was going to jump on the middle point. Both of which I had a difficult time dealing with at the time um, and that, that only happens on on like advanced positions major offensive battle lines it only happens when you have that short distance between center and and deployment zone i actually was it danger close uh no we were playing rollout it, rollout yeah. really yeah. oh yeah because he had that he had that point there yeah. yeah he had a there was a weird line of sight blocker that really enabled blast off and that oh yeah and that's for sure but i think that there's a to the point about secret mission generally and to a lesser extent bounty but i think bounty is significantly less good um there's there's kind of a misconception out there that like secret mission is good on things that don't have high victory point totals um and i think that it it's easy to fall into that trap on intercept but but i think that it, it often like intercept it often matters a lot secret mission specifically um often with bounty if you have achieved your bounty you're kind of winning the game anyways um because you're killing their important characters a lot of the time and it's kind of a win more um but with secret mission you know we were talking at the beginning about wanting to consolidate your forces around a central push right 
an intercept, unlike some other objectives, doesn't allow you a ton of flexibility about where that fight is going to take place. And so you can use secret mission to kind of veer, like you can drive your C your R2 away from where you, like you know where the battle's going to be at the beginning of the game and you can kind of plan out you know where he needs to be on those given turns to safely achieve the objective and if you're both kind of like shooting for a points tie at the end of the game it can often be just as good as if it was on a low victory point count uh objective i'd like to piggyback off that because it kind of boils into the point that i was going to bring up is that like intercept I know that we've discussed, um, you know, VAPs being an objective that it, like the first person to kind of make a mistake can sometimes have it like snowball, but I actually think it's more so important on intercept. Um, like if you make a mistake on intercept, it's, it's going to start snowballing because you have to fight over that one area. Whereas VAPs, you can kind of control the areas that you're fighting over because you place those VAPs, but an intercept you know that the battle has to take place in the middle, you know, nine out of 10 times. Right. So if you're the first person to make that mistake across that middle battlefield, like it can go south real quick. Um, and Kyle as a defensive player, um, kind of like how I will play it. Right. I will sometimes on like round two, a scoring round, if there's like a, if there's like a line of sight blocking piece of terrain, what I'll do is I'll take like a, like a low caliber unit and I'll make it look like they're going to, they're going to try and pressure to score. Like, even if it's like, let's say you're playing like this game with your opponent and you're both afraid to move towards the middle, but you have an area where you can make it look like you can get a unit in there to score and you kind of bait them to then push two units in because they want to play aggressive and you make them overextend. You now have made them make a mistake that you can kind of capitalize on. Like just because you're playing defensive doesn't mean you can't play offensive is what I'm basically getting at is you try to, like, I will try to force my opponent to think that I'm playing aggressively, but I'm actually playing defensive and I want them to overextend and make a mistake because mistakes and intercept are more prevalent because you, again, you know where the battle is going to take place. Yeah. You can actually do, there are ways to score the center point on the early turns somewhat safely. We already mentioned line of sight blockers. The other is basically like last first scoring. So you position a unit such that it's in a relatively safe location, but it is within two move actions of the center point at the end of turn one. And then you wait until the last activation of turn two, and then you just shoot that unit in there and bump it in there, tag that, tag that point. Or you get wasted by arc troopers, but I get your point. Well, standbys aside, uh, you know, not everyone has range three universal standby. So you bump, you bump your, your model in there, your unit leader, you score the point, And then the first activation next turn, you just, you play a high priority card and you get him right back out of there. And you can do that multiple times if necessary, depending on what the terrain looks like and how your opponent is contesting. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, the point I think Zach, you were making about, kind of like the errors in like how an error can feel like it is more important in intercept. I think that that kind of stems from the fact that when, when you make a tactical error on intercept, you tend to be like in range of every gun in the enemy army, as opposed to like 
like a strike team and a storm squad can get to me like it's only two squads like i'll probably be okay on like a sabotage or something like only a couple elements can often get you whereas like when you're engaging that middle point it's just like if you mess up and do it too early or whatever and you leave somebody out there high and dry like 10 units are about to just like level guns at them and they're often just dead. it is it is basically like kylo ren shooting luke skywalker on crate like that's what it could feel like at times and and that's like why like that mistake on like you said that mistake on vaps like can happen but on intercept it can it can happen just like way worse and it'll feel like way worse and you can kind of go spiraling like i said it's kind of like a snowball effect because like what happened to that unit can now happen to the units behind them too. Like, because that, that whole area is established, um, which again, standbys, you know, to bring that up, what, like what factions or, I mean, if we want to go to lists, we can do lists, but like what should be taking intercept right now? Because I'm not sure that anything other than like a clone list should be taking intercept if i'm being honest with you rebels should not be taking intercept i'm I'm just gonna throw that right out there i don't know if rebels should be taking intercept and now that's not to say they can't win on intercept um i think like with mandos that changes things a lot right but i think i think you're okay playing intercept as red with mandos and you might not particularly want that as mandos um but but what do you guys think like what do you think should be taking intercept right now and what should not be taking it i I fall into, so I think it's not super fair to talk about clones being the only thing to take intercept because I sort of think that applies to every objective. <laughs> like, All right, fair, fair, fair. I mean, to, wow, to, okay. To, to be fair, I mean, like the standby, the standby bubble thing makes it very hard to interact with just about every objective in the game. That is why, they, why it is good. Like, I, so I think that, like, Clones just are better at an objective-based game than other factions. Okay, that, that's a less than subtle admission that Legion as a whole is broken. I, <laughs> like, I we're not going to talk about controversial topics here, but I just wanted okay. to like, I wanted to take that and kind of put put it aside. For All a right. All right. <laughs> zoning zoning areas is very important in Legion. That's not yes. a take. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just like take. like it's it's a thing. I don't know what Regardless else to say of what about objective that. you're playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just like like the the idea that clones were bad at bombing run was like people were like oh clones are going to be super bad at bombing run and then they ran into the you know a standby ball and they're like oh they're actually really good at it <laughs> like you know and and like yeah. that's the objective they should be the least good at right um, it turns out feeding nine attacks to your best position unit in one turn is good no doubt <laughs> sorry sorry um, sorry <laughs> but i think to maybe answer your question in a more effective way um is that i think that armies should avoid intercept if they generally speaking deal a low yield of damage to enemy armies in contrast to most armies what i mean by that is um they often have more snipers or you know like like the cassian gun line off often deals um quality wounds but it doesn't deal a lot of wounds right and intercept is often an attrition based battle that you really have to um like 
you're going to be firing with almost all of your units after turns like three and four, you know? Um, and I think, you know, if you, if you got like a B one horde, I think you're in a much better place than a, than a rebel gun line generally. Um, and I think you alluded to that a little bit saying rebels were generally bad at intercept, but I think it's, it's more of a, you, you want to be able to deal the lists that deal high numbers of raw hits i think are just a lot better at it um because it does tend to devolve into uh you know who can shoot the other person more yeah i was gonna say non-stab cis are probably really good to intercept yeah because of that reason they just flood the middle point with their b1 horde and you can't deal wounds fast enough to shift those unit leaders off and non any CIS list has Dooku or Grievous in it, both of whom are good at controlling areas. So, which is basically what intercept is. It yeah, it's also worth noting that force push is generally worth its weight in gold on intercept. Um, I mean, it is generally, but I think on intercept it it shines more because oftentimes you can, you know, like you can push a unit and like then draw another unit out with melee like there's a lot of like weird stuff you can do with it yeah like if you're up in activation or you get yourself like if you are tied in activation to get up in activation i mean you want an order on your force user like pretty much all the time anyways so you control them going last and as long as you preserve your act you know your activations and like you stay up that act there's nothing your opponent can do to that force push like there's nothing they can do about it yeah it's it's an objective where you can remove a scoring unit simply by repositioning them which makes force push things like you disappoint me really good and a force choke yeah potentially it depends on so this actually came up in in my team league game it depends on how your dudes are positioned if your unit leader is the only one in the area then yes force choke works perfectly well if you have non-unit leader models that are also in the scoring area, then force choke is not going to be as effective. But force choke is really effective at like bombing run and recover, or you can choke the unit leader and they just instantly drop the objective. Yeah, it's often good on like KP too, because sometimes like unit leaders are the only thing in base contact right. with these terrain. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, then that's what happened in my team league game. Dooku literally removed like three scoring units on the last turn, basically all by himself. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... Because you disappoint disgusting. me, force push, and choke. I mean... Yeah, Dooku's the, insane at, at intercept. The, the, this is an objective where, like, force users tend to shine. Um, they The issue is getting them involved in in the process a lot of the time, having them survive to turn six. Because like we were saying, if you get a unit out of position, like, your force user is about to, you know, literally Kylo Ren is go in you know all luke skywalker on your face and it's just not a not a good time um and it's it's very heavily terrain dependent force users excel at controlling areas around directly around the line of sight blocker for a variety of reasons right most of them have jump they have force push they often have command cards that deal with repositioning units so like they're very good at controlling an area immediately around a line of sight blocker. So if there is a line of sight blocker in or near that intercept point in the middle of the table, force use is going to be great in that situation, right? Because you can move them up there early, potentially, right? You can move them up there on turn two. And then it's essentially if your opponent has a gun line, it's basically up to them to somehow flank that center area so they can get a shot on your force user without 
directly moving into his start range. But super terrain dependent. There's a subject for another uh, segment is controlling fire lanes. It's something we don't talk about often enough. Yeah, definitely. You know, every table has basically lanes on it. If it's a really bad table, there are no lanes. It's just open. <laughs> yeah. Or there are, or there's just, everything's just closed off and there are no lanes because you can't see Jack. Right. You know. Yeah. But for the most part, like a good, well-balanced table has lanes on it. And those lanes you're going to be able to control with ranged firepower. Right. But there's also going to be spaces between those lanes where short range units can move up without getting shot. Right. There'll be some mix of those and that's what makes a well-balanced table, but that's for another right. show. Yeah. Have anything else on intercepts? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I think that, uh, I think it intercept is important to understand your window in which to move on the, the center point, whether you're the aggressive player or the defensive player, the, the, how the window happens is sort of similar and how you do it is sort of similar. Like, Sometimes you just kind of get to take it for free because your opponent was, like, playing defensive and kind of gifted it to you. Um, and oftentimes that's because they made a mistake. Um, not always. Not not always. But but I, I, I very much feel that, like, if your opponent is able to entrench themselves in, in on the middle position without taking fire, the person that did not do the entrenching, entrenching made it a, a, a grievous error. Like, um, yeah, the without taking fire thing. Is right, right. The, taking, yeah. taking the middle should cost you something. If it didn't cost you something, you were given a gift. Um, but let's assume that you weren't given a gift. You need to find the timing window where it makes sense to flip the switch between I'm sitting here doing not a whole lot other than like poking shots at the enemy, similar to like sabotage or whatever to I am moving up and taking ground. And I think the most important piece in any Legion game, but in generally intercept, it is far more defined is the moment in which you decide to do that and how you do it. Because if you do it, well you have a chance at winning the game if you do it poorly you generally just walk into disaster yeah and i think the for me when a kind of a light bulb went off with with intercept and again this fits it goes to my play style a little bit but the realization that essentially for the first two scoring rounds units are more important than victory points at least for me because a, killing units builds a points advantage. And it also increases your chance to be able to score two objectives instead of one on the last turn. And I'm personally very comfortable just kind of letting my opponent have the center on the first two scoring rounds if it means I can I can chip away at their units without, you know, too much risk to my own. My biggest piece of advice might be to always be measuring on intercept because you need to measure so many different things. Um, first is obviously to measure where your opponent can move and shoot you. If you're in like, if you're entrenched, your other is to measure where you can move and shoot a unit. If they're entrenched, 
And then probably the most important thing to measure is can I double move to the intercept I need to get to when I need to? Um, the last thing you want to do is fall short. Like, let's say you're like positioning yourself and you're thinking you're going to bum rush the middle and you did not measure your double move correctly. You're pretty much screwed. Um, like all the game planning in the world can be great, but if you mismeasure that one thing, it's not going to matter. Yeah. And, and I actually think that to that point, um, We've talked a lot about counting unit leaders so far. Um, It's very easy to fall into a trap of counting unit leaders and like not realizing what a single suppression token can do to your unit leader count that is actually like eligible to score a point. Um, You know, it's it's a little bit less prevalent nowadays because there's so many units that like ignore suppression or have courage to or whatever. But like the courage one core units. Um, like if you're relying on them doing a move shoot or a move move, which both are very vital on intercept because you're going to be taking ground at some point in the game. Otherwise you're not going to win. Like you have to do it eventually. Like a single suppression token can really screw up your game plan if you're not properly preparing for it. Um, so you want to have contingencies ready. You know, if you're, if your short trooper squad needed to move and shoot, didn't have an order and took a suppression token and you didn't have strict like all of a sudden you're like you're out eight dice with a name token or whatever and that can be a huge deal if it's turn five and you really needed to take that shot like a like a t21b probably doesn't cut it at that stage in the game um so i just i i think that that's also something to kind of watch out for specifically when you're planning because intercept very much uh unlike some of the other objectives like it is it is very chess matchy in that you're counting specific pieces and 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 doing the math on figuring out like what need can get where and how long it takes them to get there like um it's it's much more there's a lot more calculus involved i think in, in a intercept game than like bombing run you know where you're like i'm taking my units and they're going here and like that's just what they're doing right intercept is very much more um it's more scientific i think than a lot of objectives and and a kind of a point off of that is that intercept might be a game where it might be smart to hold a card that puts up more orders on round six like return of the jedi is probably like a really really good card on turn six on intercept as an example because one it puts out three orders and two, it removes suppression, right? When Luke activates. Um, but the most important part is that it's giving out three three tokens, right? So like a lot of the times in games, you will go like a three pip and then a two pip and then maybe a three pip. And usually your three pips are gone by the time round six happens. But on intercept, it's probably better to keep, a, a, like it's probably better to play standing orders like turn one and then, and then keep a three pip that gives out more orders. Because let's say you're down to like a unit leader that's hiding behind the wall, right? Um, and you need that unit to activate last, but then you're down to Son of Skywalker, let's say, right? Like I'm just using Luke as a, like a general example. So you have to play Son of Skywalker. That unit now doesn't have a token on it. So you don't control when it activates. Um, and now you have to, and yes, you have control of Luke, which is a big deal, right? But what if you want that unit leader to go last? You have no control of that, right? Um, which is super important. And that's why kind of holding on to like a three or, you know, a two, 
is important for round six or your last scoring round on an intercept because there are sometimes units that you never thought that you would want to control. Are there units that you need to control? Yeah, given the suppression situation, you really can be punished by the random draw. It's totally possible. Like you'll draw, you'll draw a sniper that like, oh man, if I had only drawn this core, then I wouldn't have to do this suboptimal move. So it's important to maintain that control. I totally agree, especially if you have strict in your list. Cause like then you, you know, and a lot of times you'll find you're dependent on a courage one trooper. And I know there's, there's some voices in the community. They're like, Oh, suppression doesn't matter. But I think, I think that's BS. I think suppression is a huge, a huge issue. At least in my faction, cause I play rebels, right? Courage one core units are often the scoring units. So yeah, they matter. it matters a ton suppression control. And I mean, I, I, I think suppression on like courage two units often is overlooked. Um, to some extent like, like like with droids clearly it doesn't matter most of the time um but like specifically against clones i think a lot of people are like oh suppression doesn't do anything but like if you if you hit a if you hit a, like a you know a full arc squad with a mortar like they still get two suppression tokens you know and and oftentimes there's not a strict orders in the list you know like so i mean there is a non-zero chance that they're gonna have to you know only one action, and and that assumes that you only hit them with a mortar, right? Um, yeah. I I do think that you know people underestimate how important suppression is because a lot of the times like you can throw down suppression and some and like oftentimes your opponent just like rips it right back off and it's not that big a deal, so like it doesn't feel like a big deal. But when suppression matters, it is game changing yep panicking on hostile environment probably the worst thing ever especially when you panic into open terrain and then you know i forget who i was playing against but i think i there was a game where i was it was hostile environment and i ended up like juggling an echo arc off the board with nine suppression it was it was just stupid like that should never happen but it did so i mean i was happy about it i don't know if it involves skill i don't know just a lot of range for firepower jedi mind trick of course no it was the it was the back-to-back mind trick that really sank oh, it in mind trick is so good yeah four suppression on top of whatever they were getting from being shot by dlts and snipers mind trick is silly i'm sorry but that yeah. card is way better than force dude the fact that you can do it from a complete safety because you don't need line of sight since it's a force power so good i'm not gonna lie I, I feel bad when I do like a last first with Jedi mind trick. Like it's like, I feel great doing it. And then I feel disgusting doing it. Like I actually did it at LVO. I panicked a Krennic off the board by doing that. And like, you can panic those like, units by doing that. Like yeah. I just, I wanted to puke though. Like I felt bad. Like, like, I mean, I felt great in the moment. And then like later on at night, I'm like, I did that to Krennic? Oh, that, it's gross. Yeah, you think that's bad. Uh, there was one game, Kyle like dumped like four suppression tokens into my operative Vader, and I was just like... Uh... Right, it's like, what am I supposed <laughs> yeah. to do with this? <laughs> it just buries you. I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. This I panicked to Sabine off the board with, with Mind Trick, uh, Son of Skywalker, Double Tap from Commander Luke's Pistol. That gives you four suppression just by itself. So if you pair that with the last first, you can dump six suppression on one target. Yeah, this is why I like taking Saber through on, on Jedi Luke. Except now you can't <laughs> do it, right, with SOS? Well, you never could. 
I guess not. Okay. I don't know. I don't even know anymore. There's so many rulings flopping back and forth. I have no idea. Yeah. We'll talk about those next week. Most of them were of the vein of it does in fact work like you think it did basically. Um, Yeah. Tune in next week. (laughs) Yeah. Tune in next week for more discussion on those. Uh, Any more thoughts on intercept? Oh, one more thing on intercept. It's okay if nobody scores the center point early. I find it super common in competitive games for like the first two score rounds to be a one, one and there's just no units in the center because depending on the map, both players have essentially made the calculus that there's too much risk in putting a unit in the center. Now, a lot of that has to do with, I feel like terrain in particular, a lot of the TTS tables have kind of this like allergy to line of sight blockers in the intercept scoring zone in the center. So you can, in fact, just control the center with pure firepower. I feel like that's less true in real tournaments. You're much more likely to have a chance to have a line of sight blocker actually not like directly in the center because then potentially you'd have an elevated box for recover, but just a little bit off center such that a unit can be touching or on the other side of that line of sight blocker and still score intercepts. I feel like that makes intercept much more interesting. But if you have one of those tables where the center is really just relatively open and there's no like quote unquote safe spot to score intercept, then there's nothing wrong with just being like, all right, we're just going to call this key positions basically. And we're going to wait until turn six. Then we're going to fight over the middle. I think that's fair. I, before we kind of move on from this, I do want to talk about intercept and clones. David, you kind of mentioned it, you know, and, and I think that, um, I want to talk about how to best deal with it because I do think that clones can be super, sometimes super frustrating, but I think that if you're able to deal with it properly and you know how to attack it, um, you'll at least be better off in, in trying to kind of, you know, check a win in the box. And I think that, um, clones as they exist right now with standby sharing, it is, it is almost impossible to win an aggressive game against a clone ball. Um, unless the terrain is like super great for it. You know, you can like get an operative Luke up in there without him being shot at because the terrain is just so good. And in that case, you throw what I'm about to say out the window. But um, I, I, th- I very much feel that you are using turns like one through four to poke and you're, you're taking the Kyle Dornbos approach of, you know, I'm going to score turn six and I'm going to win the game on points. And you pretty much have to, you've got to just kill them at range four is kind of how it needs to happen. Um, be, be, and it, otherwise you're going to have to like flank them and try and take a back point or something. Um, but I do think that like, you know, don't don't rush into the the brick wall head on because that's kind of what a clone ball is. You know, um, and and I think on intercept as opposed to some objectives, it's very easy to to kind of be like, oh man, I gotta I gotta I gotta take this point on turn two because it's this game's gonna be overwhelming, and I think that's a trap because the clone ball is gonna own you if you move up. Um, and and I yeah. think that's very important. And there are, there are some units that specifically are good against clone balls, and those units are snipers, right? They have long range. They usually have pierce. 
So if you've got, for example, like Cassian and three snipers, those they're going to kill a significant number of clones over the course of the game, but it's going to take them time to do that. So, you know, it might be turn four or five or six before you've actually accumulated a meaningful kill count with those, those units. And that's okay, right? But you just, you just have to be patient in those sorts of situations. Yeah, you basically have to pick your fight. And if you, you know you're going to lose at range three, especially early on when they have no casualties. You're just, if you try to engage in range three, you're done. So you have to, you have to choose the long range fight. And I mean, maybe Harry's, there's another segment idea. Like, you know, another, another way to deal with clone standby castles, don't let them stand still, like force them to start moving. You can't, you know, um, and it's on intercept. It's, it's especially important because oftentimes you have to move into the range three bubble. Like there's right. no, there's no getting around it. If you're going to take that center point, you've got to find a way to do it. Right. There's, it's not like breakthrough where you guys can kind of like pass like ships in the night or bombing run where you can do that. Um, like, yeah, I don't, I don't run intercept in my battle deck these yeah. days. Well, and, and I mean, that was kind of the point that we were talking about earlier, but I, but I, I, I like took like 20 minutes to think about it. And like, I, I, I do think that there is, there are, there are ways to play intercept well against clones. You just have to, you have to set out with that game plan in mind. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's very important and not all lists are set up to do it well, right? Like, you know, a, a B1 staff list is going to have a hard time with it. Um, specifically on this objective, there are other objectives where they're, they're better at it, but like anything that has an engagement range of nothing hits, hits farther than range three is going to struggle. Um, so you should probably look at like flanking an objective or something with your stats, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's my two cents on that. No, I think I think you got it. I think you got it. You you got to not just just don't fall on their sword. Right, and I, and I, that's the biggest thing. You know, we've talked a lot about clones because they're the they're the big bad meanie in the room at the moment, and I think that a lot of people. At the beginning of the game, they're like, "Well, it's a clone ball. I gotta go out swinging." So they they go in swinging, and yeah. I think that is a huge mistake. You know, um, it it looks like a lot of clone bodies on the table, and don't get me wrong, like units with just the unit leader alive are still very valuable. But like once you once you take one or two arc models out of a full arc squad, or like take two or three phase twos like down to one or two models, like the equation becomes very different. Trust me, from somebody that plays this list, the, these lists a lot. Like once you start like eating away at their five like bulky units, they don't have a operative vader operative luke or dooku to carry them to victory like once those units are degraded their their power level goes way down and a lot of their game is spent conserving those units um so on an objective like intercept where you have five turns to put sniper shots into them like do it um way to disrespect kenobi what not even mentioning him? Yeah, didn't even mention him. Jeez. <laughs> well, well, I mean that's that's know. the good thing about Kenobi. I was gonna I was gonna say, don't waste your time sniping their arcs unless it's a full team. But if you have a chance to snipe a phase two, especially a phase two in the open, like freaking do it because those are the times 
when your sniper is going to do their most damage. I, but Kenobi nips that in the bud because he can he can suck up all those guardian hits or, or suck up all those hits with guardian and be Pierce immune, and still have defense surge. I will say that like I think people on the outside of scene arcs saw impervious written on their card and were like, well, you just shouldn't shoot them with snipers if they're a better target if there are like phase two targets. I actually don't think that's true. Although yeah, it's a should, full arc, you should shoot them. I, I think strike teams, not so much. I don't know. I I sort of feel like both, to be honest. As as a clone player, when somebody shoots an arc model off the board, I'm like, Urgh. somebody yeah. shoots like a, a phase two body that's only shooting one black die, and like all of my damage is loaded in the Z six. I feel way less bad about losing. But like when every time I pick an arc model up off the board, like. It just it hurts so badly, and and I know that sometimes it sucks to like shoot a sniper into an arc unit, and they like roll the impervious save, and they they Boba Fett out of it, like that yeah. feels bad. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think the shots into the arc troopers, whether they're strikes or full arcs, are just insanely more valuable. You know, yeah. once once they only have one model in an arc strike team, um, things get complicated. From uh, in in the vein of like what I can do safely with this model, um, is it totally possible that they're just going to use it as like an aim standby battery? Yes, that is a thing. But at least it's not shooting you anymore. Um, and yep. and like I think it depends on how many surges are around it. Like if if you're shooting the arc strike team and there's a lot of surges around it, I don't know. That's that's, I, that's I understand. Risky. It feels bad. I get it. But honestly, shooting Boba with Pierce weapons is still very good. Like it's 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 not like like putting and and that's kind of like what we're looking at with clones. With it is what we're looking at with impervious saved surge tokened clones, right? It's the exact same thing, except when you push a wound through, models actually die. Yeah, but Boba's one hundred and forty point base, and I know the arcs are important I, okay let's let's not talk about Boba because he's, no, he's I, but it's like it's like a mando squad or sabine right yeah like, but the I, and i get that but like i don't know it, i just think that you just brought up a good point that when meat starts falling off that that wagon it starts to diminish and you can you have more chances of taking the meat off the wagon by shooting the phase twos than the arcs and i and i get the value in shooting the arcs, I 100% get that. And we're kind of going down a rabbit hole here. But, I, man, if they're insulated by by surge tokens, I'm not shooting them. And this is coming I, from that someone that plays clones. I, I, I get it. I just, like, clones will lose games by having their arc models getting taken off the table. They will not lose games if you take phase twos off the table. I'm going to let my salt show. Okay. I have a hard enough time hitting a sniper shot, okay? I only have one <laughs> aim, if I'm lucky, all right? So I'm going to shoot the freaking phase two. All right. And hold on. if I get a shot through cover, it's going to take a model off the board. Hold on, David. I don't have time to, to F around. We have shooting an impervious art trooper. We have a game to finish. We can't really talk much about it. We have, we have to finish it sometime this week. My snipers were shooting poo-poo bullets oh, yeah. okay okay so i don't want to hear it i well, do not want to hear it it's on videotape my snipers were rolling double blanks with aims it was 
atrociously bad. But you're well, on my side. You're playing Rebel on that. So, so hold up. You guys are actually, you don't know it, but you're reinforcing the point I'm making in that shooting arcs is always the right decision. Because oh, you know what's shooting black and white dice like your sniper teams and are often rolling blanks without aim tokens and stuff? Phase twos. They are, they're rolling the same dice as your rebel sniper teams, and they don't have pierce. And look, even an aim token on a phase two unit is like just as effective as an aim token on a sniper if both the dice are blank. Like, just to be clear. Whereas, if you're taking an arc sniper rifle off the board, or an arc unit that is shooting multiple dice at range two or three, like, you're taking way more firepower off the board with a single bullet i I get it i get it right like i get it you want to actually remove the thing that's more valuable yeah i I just like but and and this is why i crack shot arc strikes with both models exposed because i have a chance there's a, a, a slim one but there's a chance to just remove it wholesale and that does huge damage but there's also the saying a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush all right, and, and shooting a phase two is the bird in the hand. I know that wound is going to stick. Here's the thing. Except arcs, arcs are like like hawks, and the phase twos are like <laughs> pigeons. Yes. <laughs> you say that. You say that, but the Z, phase two Z6s are, are fire, man. Uh, Let's I, approach so this let me, from a gambling perspective real quick. As long as we've, we've talked about I'm, Russian roulette, we've talked about some other things. Like... You you're you're in a matchup against clones. You're not playing clones. You are disadvantaged. You make high profile plays that are gonna net you higher rewards. That's just like that's how you win a game that you are disadvantaged in. And you get ha- what you're you saying. Have, like like that is how you turn the tide. You have to you have to hope their dice go against them eventually. Uh, so I want to weigh in here because I, I actually agree with Mike. Um but I don't think it's quite as simple as like always shoot arcs. I mean, if they're not I, I in range, think, like don't go out of your well, way to like expose your pieces to do. So. Co- cover cover is important too because we talked about how unreliable those sniper dice can be in theory. Um, at least the the scout and commando sniper dice. Uh, cover is really important because you are way more likely to get paint through on a unit that is in light cover or no cover, which is, you know, with sharpshooter, it's both of those situations are no cover. Mm-hmm. You're way more likely to get paint through in that situation than you are with cover. Impervious aside, right? If we don't even think about Pierce for a second. And you might get two hits through. Whereas if your target is in heavy cover, you know, there's basically no chance that you're going to get two hits through, right? So that is very fair. My, my view is cover is your first decision point, right? If you can shoot almost any unit in the open over a unit in cover, you shoot the one in the open. Uh, sorry, a unit in the open versus heavy cover, right? Because mm-hmm. light cover is functionally in the open with a sniper. Right. And then you prioritize arcs. So like if all your if all your phase two, phase one, Rex, whatever targets are in heavy cover and all your arc targets are in heavy cover, then you shoot the arcs, right? If you've got like a phase two target in the open or in light cover and all the arcs are in heavy cover, then I shoot the phase twos. But you see, I'm still feeling the phase two because of that impervious surge. I just, it's like, I look at one and it's guaranteed and I look at the other and it's like, there's a, a high chance of failure. And just, uh, yeah. You know, it's just like shot. the phase the arcs two are just body so is much just... more valuable. Yeah. I know. I know. 
I mean, you, so I want to real quick, cause we had a long tangent on this topic. You had a, a very instructive mirror on this topic, Mike, in Invader when you faced Kingsley, because you had essentially opposing views on this. And your view was like, and almost identical looks, lists, right? You're both running arc star. So you both had two full arcs. Um, one full arc. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, no, we were both on two full arcs. Yeah, okay, in a, in a team. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, your view is like the arcs are the only thing that matters in this matchup. Yeah, I actually right? like. I, I went into the game. I was like, I'm going to use my phase twos as bait and cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. Like, if yeah. they do things, great. But at the end of the day, like, I'm going to shoot his arc troopers, and they're either going to die, and I'm going to win, or they're not going to die, and I'm not going to win. And like, like. I I feel, generally speaking, that is how you have to approach clone lists. Generally, and if once you once you start scraping arcs, whether it's an arc star or a rex star, once you start scraping arc troopers out of that list, it becomes a lot more manageable. Yeah, and I think he even said in his post interview, he went into the game with the opposite view, where he's like, I want to be shooting. Things with pe- lethal or pierce against things that don't have impervious, and then I want to be shooting things that don't have lethal or pierce against the things that have impervious, basically for like maximum value efficiency, right? And it it didn't work in that matchup because, as it turned out, the arcs were the <laughs> really all that mattered. Right. You killed his arcs because you shot them with all of the things, including your pierce weapons, and he ended up not doing enough damage to your arcs because he was trying to you know, taken to value town with these sixes and his arcs were shooting phase twos, which ultimately were basically irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. But to be fair though, the original point of the argument was strike teams. Full arcs is a completely different story. Well, sure. That's fair. But I still think that if, if presented with the distinction between taking a, a shot at a strike team versus a shot at, anything else and the cover situation is the same regardless of what you're shooting with you should shoot at the arc troopers hmm. yeah because even if a one on one model arc strike team is very heavily restricted in how useful it can be all right here's what's going to happen the next time i play on a live table and if i play against arcs i'm going to shoot the arc strike team like mike suggests and when they roll the impervious save i'm going to flip the table take a picture and send it to mike and say this is your doing Thanks, Mike. I, I was going to be like, who am I kidding? You know, they're just going to double move behind, behind line of side blocking anyway, so who cares? I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you It's better gonna... than them shooting you with a sniper rifle. Yes. Yeah, but then they pass their aims to their friends. I mean, yes, but at least yeah. the thing is that, like, those units are so good at doing damage, you know? Okay. Like, yeah. they're range yeah. five, basically auto-critting Pierce 1 units, frankly. I think what I'm saying is, why don't people double move their arc strikes more and do more fire supports? Because you know you can just roll like 15 hits, right? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Because the game is about range, and like Mike said, range five. No, it's about targeting scopes and aim stacking. That's yeah. what it's about. I, I mean, I mean there, there are definitely, like, you can build your wisp to take advantage of these things in, in different ways, for sure. And okay, I'm certainly natural. not saying the Phase 2 unit with a Z6 is bad. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I want to I be clear about that. A Phase 2 unit with a Z6 is still a valuable unit. Like, but I, I definitely think that you should prioritize shooting value, more valuable units. You know, it's, it's like, to me, it's sort of like having a conversation about like 
do I shoot the Mandalorian squad or the Rebel Trooper squad with the DLT if presented the the same situation with them both in heavy cover, right? Like, I can pick out one uh, Rebel Trooper with a sniper rifle or I can pick out one of four Mandalorians with, yeah. you know, like, like, they have impervious, sure, but they're also 30 points a model. I- you I know? think that I think the grade the gradient between a Mando and a Rebel Trooper is a lot sharper than the gradient between a Phase Two and an Arc Squad. I, I really I don't think so at all. I think that's and, uh, perception. You don't think you don't think that's the case, but like I tell you, man, that if you just if you just put the two cards side by side one day, you'll see what I'm talking I, about. I'm I mean. I, trust me, I put them side by side all the time. All the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I actually think it's a bit of an illusion. They look very similar. They uh, they look so similar that you would think that they would be of somewhat equal value. Because phase twos are special forces masquerading as core. To some degree <laughs> they are. And when arcs aren't around, they yeah. they tend to work like that. But yeah. like Arcs are definitely king of the hill. I don't want to go super far down those rabbit hole. Oh, no. I think we, we've we just, talked about it a lot. Yeah, I, we, we, I we were going to talk about Obi Wan today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. did you been sentenced to an eternity of salt? <laughs> so <laughs> you've been sentenced to. So if you are interested in playing uh, the Grand Army of the Republic and don't want to be de- degenerate like Mike Barry, you can check out my Obi Wan article. We were going to touch upon Obi Wan, like uh, Kyle said, but <laughs> we're going to have to leave it to your eyes reading my uh, latest article on Obi Wan. Because, like I said, you will have to pry a force user from my cold dead hands, Mike. Uh, I'm the same way. I can't. I, I'm. I can't do it. If I'm I gotta not play playing, a force user. If I'm not playing clones, I feel very similarly. I I also like to play with force users. Just place to being with a grappling line. You'll you'll lose your love for force users very quickly. I don't know. Sabine doesn't have force push. Yeah, but Sabine can't root your 200-point force user in place for three turns now that she has Cassian to back her up. I don't know. It's it's funny because, like, Kyle brings it up. Like, I was writing that article about Obi-Wan, and I even said it to the group, or maybe it was Kyle. I forget where it was. I, I started writing about force push, and I was like, man, is this article about Obi-Wan, or is this article about how good force push is? Um, it's a bit of both, mind you. I can't really write about one without writing about the other, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I really think that you could honestly write like like an essay on force push and how good it is. I mean, um, force users are really just uh, like a hundred and eighty point tax on force push. Let's just be. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Band a little more push. nuanced than that, but I mean, like, it, yeah. I don't think that that's that far off the mark. No. Yeah, no. When you oh, say something funny. like that should sound like batshit crazy, if you have to bleep that out, go for it. Like, that sounds crazy. But when you sit down and think about it, it's not far-fetched. Force powers are very powerful. And when you pay the high cost of a force user, part of that cost is paying for access to those force powers. Anyway, uh, let's talk about Team League real quick. Sure. So that was a good discussion on Intercept and a lot of other things. Somehow every discussion ends up being about arcs. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, just like that, it's just like when it used to end up on Tauntauns all the time. Yeah, right. Very much so. Very much so. We actually didn't yeah. even talk about Tauntauns, which are still pretty good at Intercept. Yeah. You know what? Because clones are better. That's why. I think if there's a rebel list that takes Intercept, it's Tauntauns. 
Totally. Yeah. Or, or yeah. like a Mando skew, maybe. Yeah, like, Mando yeah. skew. Like a Mando I think, skew. I think right. there's some room for Mando's to play intercept kind of yeah. similar to I agree. I think I might, speaking of Yavin, I think I might have intercept in my deck because I'm running a, a Mando skew. You're not there? I mean, ah, they know, I, they know I, by I now. Okay. No, they know by I now. have intercept in my deck. Well, you're running Arkstar, so. So of course anyway. you do. Yeah, so we are we are Team Fifth Trooper is one and one. Uh, I had a super fun game over the weekend. Um, we're playing the Aussies this time, so scheduling is. He was very gracious to play at eight in the morning his time. <laughs> well, to be to be technically, you're playing you're playing the West Australians. Right, the West Australians, the yeah, Jawas is the name the of the Jawas, team. Yeah, the East yeah. Australians are are the Bantha Legion, which gets yeah. even more wacky because Western Australia. All right. It's like a 12-hour difference. It's 12 hours, yeah. But yeah. no, it's not. Because my opponent is actually like a 13 and a half hour difference. Like it's 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 weird. Uh, or maybe it's 12 and a half. There's an extra half hour in there, which every time I hear that there's a half hour difference, I never understand it. I don't understand any of the time zones, mind you. But um there should be no time zones. There should just be one time. It's just and so... some people just get up at 8 p.m. <laughs> Yeah, like I kind of agree with you, but um, yeah, no, it makes it makes it makes uh, setting up games real weird. Yeah, uh, so I played Trezka Pepsi. He was running double AAT Grievous, which is a really good list. <laughs> yeah, sure. He is. basically um, kicked my ass for six turns, and then Dooku uh, put the game on his back and was like, "Ah, that's all right, I got this." And um ultimately took it basically um he was like crushing me on attrition we played on bespin you'd think you could hide from two tanks on bespin you can hide from one tank on bespin you cannot hide from two tanks on bespin he very cleverly just shoved them right up in my face but on opposite ends of the map from each other so he had like crossfire on the back side of those line of sight blockers and i was like i have nothing that can damage these tanks except dooku <laughs> He did ultimately kill one, mostly by himself, but um, yeah, it was it was a <laughs> it was a rough go. And then on the last turn, uh, Dooku did you disappoint me plus force choke, plus force push to basically just take the last objective all by himself. So um, ended up pulling out the W. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a crazy game. Lots of back and forth. Lots of B ones dying. All of them mine. Uh, <laughs> I think at the end of the game, he had killed two staps, two full units of B1s, a BX sniper team, and then the, my remaining four B1s had like one or two models in them, all of them. So, yeah, and it was Duke, a boy. just pulled off the miracle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Duku was like, you're useless. I don't even need you, B1s. Your, uh, your rebel blood came to play in that game. Yeah, I mean, he did. He pulled a Jedi Luke, basically. Like, Jedi Luke is capable of doing that kind of stuff, too, sometimes. But, yeah, Dooku pulled off a six-turn miracle as the a turn six miracle. It's the short version of how that game went. So, um, yeah, thanks to, to Tresca Pepsi for an awesome game. Um, really had my back against the wall. So, played a very capable double tank. I have a lot more respect for that list after this game than I previously I hate, did. I, so one of my locals plays it, the guy that I played yesterday or Sunday when you're listening, um, he plays double tank all the time and I hate playing against it because we talked about this precast. Like at one point you just have to sacrifice a unit or two and just be like, 
well, they're either going to survive or they're just going to die. And that's just all there is to it. Yeah. Like something's going to die to the tanks. It's just, it's going to happen. They got a giant base. They have range four with, you know, a six red, one white pool. High velocity. And high velocity. Like <laughs> Something's going to die. Criti- critical, th- critical three. Yeah. So sometimes you can hide beside, behind line of sight blockers, but when there's two of them, it makes it a lot harder. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting list. Something that I'd like to try sometime that I have not been brave enough to try. There's only eight activations, but it's also like... It makes up for it. It Very does cool. because because I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. I can, you know, I can spend three to four activations at the end of the turn, basically uncontested. But like none of those activations mattered. <laughs> because Yeah, they effectively hide the B1s behind the tanks. Right. Grievous is probably behind some line of sight blocker or like scaled somewhere safe. Right. So and like by the time you're ready to activate, you're like, I guess I just throw six white into this tank and hope for crits. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like, like I guess I'm I guess I'm attacking tanks with yeah. the ones at the end it doesn't of the turn feel, and this is completely irrelevant. Like, it doesn't feel good. It does not feel good. No, it doesn't. So yeah. Anyway, that was fun. Um yeah, crazy game. And hopefully yes. uh, hopefully you guys can pull out two wins between the last three games. Yeah, I think here. we have, I think we have some good matchups. I think um we matched up better this round than last round. Yeah, our um, team strategy was a little more. Uh, yeah, this time I think. Yeah, I think I think Mando's opened it up a lot for us just because of like comfortability. Whereas you know, like we were saying, Mike likes Arkstar, and John really likes Luke, uh, which obviously kind of leaves me like, oh, I have Obi Wan with Phase Ones. Um, so like, um, Phase Ones are bad. <laughs> <laughs> so like Mando's Mando's opened it up a lot because I I'm running a quad Mando skew because I'm bringing Sabine I'm bringing Leia Sabine triple Mando's with like hold on I actually have the list right here this is bring, the way that sounds yeah, super fun with four with four naked rebel troopers in R2D2 and 3PO um, and normally I really I don't really like playing naked troopers, but it's like all I could kind of fit because I brought like a, I brought a what a 787 bid I think, which is super relevant because I'm playing against a 788 point triple ISF list. So <laughs> I am literally winning the bid by a point, and it's super important in this matchup. And it's basically going to come down to turn zero, of course, which is always important, but um. Basically, who can get the better alpha strike is what it's going to boil down to, right? Like, they're going to go for the tack strike, I, you know, triple ISF, like, alpha, and I have jetpack rockets on all three of my mandos, one of them being Clan Ren. Um, Just hide behind stuff. Let him tack oh, strike and not shoot things. Zach. Yeah, I mean, not to, not to tell uh, Joyous my strategy, but we're playing on Jetta, and I'm fully ready to use those buildings to my advantage, and just make sure that like tax strike is just like no thank you. Uh, have yeah. a good day, sir. Jump to greater than infiltrate. Jetta <laughs> is a fantastic yes. map for Mandos. Yes. Um, yeah. Again, we kind of like got a lot of really good strategies. I mean, the one downside was Mike is playing Arcstar versus a, another form of Arcstar, and he's not blue, which we know is important in like the mirror. But it just went properly um, on TTC. I mean, yeah. Well. Do. It's not even that. I think 
I think Mike's opponent has fives in an arc rather than another sniper. So I think Mike's two full arcs with snipers might really be like the key there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. Um, I, I feel confident in Mike, so I'm not worried about him. Put that theory I, to the I test. Play that, I play that list a lot. I, I'm, yeah. I'm confident in it. Like I didn't, so that's like, like to, to kind of put you through it. Like I, I like I, maybe this is a little off base where you wanted to go with the Avid, but like to kind of walk you through it, like they, they let, so they, they had a 40 point bid, but they took blue, which kind of took me by surprise and a 40 point team bid. And, um, they threw their arc star out first and I didn't know what to pair it with. I'm not going to lie. Um, I thought about throwing Bushman's like Cassian Luke list at it because like, that's a lot of Pierce, a lot of long range guns that could probably deal with it. But then I was kind of like, maybe I just throw our own arc star and just like, kind of like hope that like Mike, I mean, I know Mike's a great player and he can just kind of take it, you know, take the reins and just go for it. Oh um, yeah. Mike's going to crush it. You know, like, <laughs> no, seriously, he's going to crush it, dude. Yeah. And, and I got a good matchup for John too. Like, that's the thing. Like John's playing against like a Jin Cassian list, but it's an 800 point Jin Cassian list with ATRTs and one sniper. Ooh. Yeah. And John's got Cassian, Luke and a bid and three snipers. That's so, like one of their worst matchups. So like this round was just way better with matchups, which is super important for Yavin base league. Like yeah. super important. Yeah, I think um, I got the uh, the fisted matchup. <laughs> yeah, like when you said that you won your game, I was like, oh yeah, like that was big because like that was a matchup that like it wasn't intended, mind you, but um, it worked out. So we got the win out of that, and and like you know, Mike's in a good position, John's in a good position. Hopefully, it doesn't come down to me in this Mando skew versus ISF skew because that's gonna be a. I think that's gonna be like a shootout at like the OK that's, Corral. That's gonna be wild. When do you it's guys gonna, play? Do we play? don't know. We have Thursday, okay. Friday, and Sunday like set up because I have kids, he has kids. Like we we don't even know. Like we talked last week. We said Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. We haven't touched base this week. It's kind of like he I think that he's trying to aim for like a day where like it kind of works for a schedule in the afternoon or early morning. And then like, I'll play late at night. If I have to like sacrifices will be made somewhere along the line. It's just trying to figure out which day that works best. I mean, Zach bought that camera. He got some points. He's ready to spend them. <laughs> um, yeah. I might've spent those yesterday playing the in real life game, but that's <laughs> even with her not being home. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Got some, right. you gotta get some rollover points. Uh, I just gotta like get like a canvas or something that makes the pictures even better. I don't know. I'll, I'll figure something out. <laughs> just make a dark room in your house. Do it the yeah. old fashioned way. Yeah, I, yeah. My kid will think I'm like Peter Parker. That's fine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's not the worst thing for them to think. Yeah. No, no. My 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 son's obsessed with Spider Man and and Batman and knows them both by their real names. So he'd probably be kind of pumped if I was like Peter Parker. There you go. But, uh, I can't shoot webs out of my my wrist. So. <laughs> David, you got any like overall team league updates? Yeah. Um, well, the biggest one that I have is that I'm I'm starting to put together the compilation videos from the games that were streamed earlier. So sometime in the next ten days or so, I'm hoping to have a uh, a new video out that people can watch some of the wrap ups from the various games. It's going to basically be like here's the here's the format and here are the games we streamed and let's talk about the strategic high points and low points or whatever with some, you know, voiceover narration. So I'm working on that. So take, you know, keep the gander 
or, or keep a lookout for those coming soon. I, I don't know what idiom I was trying to use, but um, other than that, uh, things are continuing at pace. We seem to be on track. The, most of the games this round are coming in later than the first, but I'm in touch with all the captains. We seem to be on, on schedule and things are going pretty well. I would say we've had a few uh, accidental double submissions with some of the Google forms, but other than that, it's been pretty, it's been pretty smooth sailing. That is like actually like probably the most annoying part of running an event, like an online event is like the scoring of matches and keeping track of it all. Taking all the notes I need to take and not trying to remember everything. That's a huge error. You should just always take notes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Unless you're actually playing Legion and then it's not allowed. Yeah. Then it's not allowed. So I get to take notes. (laughs) Suckers. (laughs) I don't know. Like, um, I don't know. It's funny, like processing judge, judge requests. Um, there's some vocal, vocal complainers who will leave unnamed who DM. There are vocal complainers in the Legion community. I know. Who knew? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Shock. No <laughs> way. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'll leave there. I'll leave them unnamed. Um, we're all very passionate about this game. Oh yeah, we're also passionate about a lot of other things, <laughs> like uh, people showing up to their matches on time, for example. That seems and like a reasonable. Sa- and uh, saboteur is not being similar to strike teams or something. I, I don't know. I've, I've already said too much. What else? All right. How about, we- <laughs> how about we close this out? Yeah. All right. So we are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David. I'm Zach. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Fantastical strike. <laughs>